Co-op Energy Talk. I'm Rachel Johnson, the Member Relations Manager here at Cherryland Electric Cooperative, joined today with our General Manager, Tony Anderson. Hey, Tony. Good morning. And also joining us is Kent Wood. Kent is the Director of Government Relations for the Traverse City Chamber of Commerce, where he serves as their Chief Lobbyist and leads the business advocacy efforts for the local chamber and the Northern Michigan Chamber Alliance. Hey, Kent. Hey, morning, Rachel. Hi, Tony. So I'm not sure if you all heard, but we did have an election last so I'm told. week. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, my my Facebook feed has changed considerably <laughs> in the last seven days. Now it's just kittens and puppies, like it was designed to be. Uh, Michigan had record voter turnout for a gubernatorial election. 4.3 million Michiganders cast ballots, the highest midterm turnout in nearly 50 years. Uh, and the highest turnout statewide was our very own Leelanau County with 71% voter turnout. Mm. So yeah, there's amazing. a fun fact for you. Um, Grand Traverse County uh, had about 66% voter turnout, up from 47% voter turnout in 2014. So really... Um, significant increases in people voting, which is great. That trend was echoed nationwide. Um, we had almost 50% voter turnout across the country, which is really mm-hmm. cool. And once the voters, voter votes were all tallied here in Michigan, uh, Democrats took the governor's office and attorney general and secretary of state, and Republicans retained control of the House and Senate with a smaller majority than they had. Um, so given that, I think a good place for us to start and kind of talking about what this election means for Michigan is to start by talking about lame duck, because we know there's going to be a shift in balance of power after the first of the year. So I'm interested in hearing um, from you, Kent, about kind of what you're watching for lame duck and what you're expecting to see come up. Yeah. You know, a quick fact real quick, too, about about the elections just in, you know, the 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 Democrats taking all of the the top statewide offices. That is, I think, the first time that has happened in like a century or or more. That it's been all Democrats or that it's been a complete that, flip? That Democrats have completely flipped those tops, you know, governor, attorney general, secretary of state. Um, and I just, I saw somebody mentioning that, a reporter on social media, and saying, you know, I, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm digging through history trying to figure out when the last time that happened was. I thought maybe the FDR years that would have happened, but no, there was a Republican that just hang on to the, hung on to the Secretary of State's office, so it wasn't even back in the 30s. Wow. So I, I can't even tell you when, when that's happened. So <laughs> just as we're talking about historical context or significance of this election, that was one other tidbit there that I found kind of interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. So as um, as we kind of transition to lame duck, because we we will have a a, a shift of power now that that we do have um, Governor Elect Gretchen Whitmer, a, a Democrat, who will be holding office. Uh, we've got smaller majorities now in the House and the Senate, although they did stay Republican. Um, you have to imagine that some of the more Partisan issues or some of the more controversial issues that Republicans were kind of holding close to their chest on whether or not they were, you know, going to be priorities or not during lame duck. You'd have to expect all of those are going to be priorities during lame duck. Some of the top ones that pop to mind, at least in in my in my worldview, are the minimum wage and paid sick leave ballot proposals. That the legislature passed in September, you you will likely see them put a, a a big priority on trying to make some changes to those that are a little bit more 
a um, little bit more conservative, a little bit more business friendly, I guess I would say. Uh, you have to imagine that uh, the Line 5 tunnel legislation for the Line 5 tunnel is going to be um, probably the number one priority for the governor that he wants to get done. Um, you know, knowing knowing that you've got a change in party coming in next. So, uh, you know, they've, they've taken a long time to... Um, to reach that agreement. So you'd have to think they, they want to see that through and he okay, wants to right. get that yeah. done. And what does he need to get that done? Because they do have an agreement. It seems to be pretty well locked down. But what is the legislation that needs to happen to further lock it down? I think they his office feels strongly that they do need to um, they do need to have some legislative component to it and they do need to further specify uh, that the Mackinac Bridge Authority does have the the ability or the authority to manage this tunnel? Um, you know, there was some, there was, um, I think some some debate about whether they whether or not they already had that mm-hmm. um, that authority. You know, the the implementing legislation um, that they originally had to build the bridge also included a tunnel and and a lot of other really? a lot of other things. You know, they they left it kind of wide open. Um, for what the bridge authority would would need to do to make that to you know to make that crossing happen, um, but there's there is feeling though from the governor's office though that uh, and their you know their legal counsel has said they they feel very strongly that they do need to have a legislative component they do need to or want to um, you know further further give the Mackinac Bridge authority that direct authority to have a utility tunnel or to manage. A utility tunnel under the Straits of Mackinac. So that's that's what we're going to be seeing. So the the steps left between where we're at and where the where Michigan is at now with the agreement with Enbridge, and and just in case not of our listeners pay as close of attention as we do, there is an agreement with Enbridge for Enbridge to pay to build a tunnel under the Straits, a utility tunnel under the Straits, and um, they would foot that entire bill, mm-hmm. and then once built, which would take it sounds like maybe seven years, I'm not sure, I've heard yeah, lots of rumors, let's say seven, like yeah, it'd take a while. <laughs> um, once that bridge, or I'm sorry, once that tunnel is completed, it would include um, the the oil pipeline, but mm-hmm. also include other utility infrastructure, like, for example, broadband and, and a better electric connection. Mm-hmm. And the tunnel itself would then be operated under the authority of the uh, Mackinac Bridge Authority, Correct, as opposed yeah. to Enbridge. So once they finish building it, they essentially put it under the authority of the um, the bridge authority, and then they would basically lease it back to the other entities that you know. So Enbridge would obviously be one of those with mm-hmm. the pipeline, um, but the other um, you know, let's say Cherryland someday uh, you know moves its you know wants to hit the UP, you would then lease part of our plans for statewide domination. Exactly. Yes. Yep. Yep. So the for that to happen, we need two essentially two things. So one is some sort of legislation. And then the other, the Mackinac Bridge Authority also has to vote to ex- accept that plan. Am I thinking through I that right? I think you are correct, yep. yeah. And the Bridge Authority seems to be split right now. One day in the Record Eagle, there's a there's a column by a member of the authority in favor of the tunnel, and the next day there's one yeah. opposed to the tunnel. Yeah, they did have um, in early November, I want to say it was the 8th, they had the kind of a first meeting of the Bridge Authority up in St. Ignace on this topic, and I think they will have another one in December, which I guess presumably would be potentially that that final final step, that final vote at it. So um, 
You mentioned two other things you, you're watching in lame duck, and those are the um, paid sick leave yeah. and minimum wage laws that were passed back in September. Mm-hmm. Um, they were passed in response. They were originally set up to be on the ballot. The legislature made the decision to pass them as allow as opposed to allowing them to get onto the ballot because that gave them then the opportunity to make modifications later. Mm-hmm. What um, what modifications would you anticipate? Well, let me back up and say, can you just really briefly explain what the two laws currently say or do? Yeah. So the, the minimum wage um, bumped up the state's minimum wage to $12 per hour. Um, and it, it did that over the course of um, you know, maybe three to four years. I, I can't remember exactly. But over the course of four years, eventually the, the state's minimum wage would go up to $12 per hour. The big change in that was that it basically got, it got rid of the tipped wage that restaurant servers have, that smaller wage, because uh, they take in a majority of their income via tips, it phased that out over the four to five years, too, where eventually um, servers would be making that that $12 an hour minimum wage also. So that was really, um, that was kind of the big, the more controversial part. I mean, you know, we, we've done minimum wage increases um, you know, I, I don't want to say quite a bit, but we, we ju- it just recently happened two or three years ago, um, and so it's it's something that's happened recently. But that that tipped portion was kind of the big, um, the big change, if you will, in that. So and, is that what you expect the, uh, the legislature to come back and change well, in lame duck? Among other things, but if they changed just one thing, it would be that. Um, I do think, um, at least from what I'm hearing. Um, I think they're they're going to go they're going to fall back on the agreement or the the legislation that was passed. Um, I think it was 2014 or 2015 when when they passed that. Uh, the argument being is that they've they've not we've not even we've we've not even gone through the full the full stepping up process uh, that 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 law required. And as part of that law also that was passed, there was a um, Cost of living increase with that also. So once it once it got to the final, and I I, I can't remember what the final, um, what the final number was nine seventy five something like that. But once it reaches that in a couple of years, there will be an an annual increase based on inflation anyway. So that's that's kind of been the argument behind that. So I, I see them most likely. Um, Removing essentially that, getting rid of this new law and reverting back to re- reverting the, back to the yeah. old right and um, and and for sure getting rid of that the, the the tipped increase. The interesting part about that is that the you know the the servers unions that are out there don't even want that mm-hmm. that increase. You know they don't want that twelve dollar minimum wage. They they like uh, you know I'm sure they would take a, some kind of increase, uh, but not the full boat because they are they're very concerned about. People not tipping then once yeah. you know once once they know that well my my server is making fifteen dollars an hour I don't I don't need to throw twenty yeah. percent tip down on top of that. Yep, no, that makes sense. And I mean anyone who anyone who's ever waited tables knows too there are tax benefits to tipped wages over yes. other wages. Mm-hmm. Um, so then uh, mandatory sick leave essentially uh, mandated that all employers that have more than ten. Two employees. How many employees? Well, there's there's two sections. There's the the ten or less employees. The you know the the, the smaller ones. That those employers would be required um, to to um, to really give their employees at, at least 
five days of, of paid sick leave per year. Those over 10, it would be seven days paid sick leave per year. Um, that has not been mandated before. Um, you know, typically a lot of, you know, especially in this market right now, which is very competitive for talent, a lot of employers that, that can already do have some kind of, uh, you know, pretty generous, um, if not paid sick leave, and in, in, um, specifically some kind of paid time off program. But now it would mandate that every employer, uh, whether you're a business, nonprofit, local unit of government, you have, you know, what, what have you, would be required to, um, to at least have that five or seven days for their employees. So what's going to happen with that in lame duck? That one I'm not as sure about, but the rumors that I'm hearing are that because there is already some, uh, already a, you know, there's the, um, the Federal Family Medical Leave Act, um, the chatter I'm hearing is looking at kind of falling back on some of the existing federal rules and, and requirements that already exist. So not creating, you know, the state not kind of creating their own set on top of the federal, but kind of falling back on FMLA. So the while certainly the elections were very interesting in terms of who got elected, there, were all, there was also this other uh, interesting dynamic in Michigan in that we had three ballot proposals pass overwhelmingly. Um, of those, the probably most controversial is ballot proposal one, which legalized marijuana in Michigan. Um, can, can you talk through what happens next? Like, I mean, like, is today today the day? Like, do I just need to go, yeah. go down to the grocery store and buy some weed? I don't, I don't know what happens next. Yeah, that's the challenge is I think there's a, you know, probably just a very few number of people that actually do have an idea of what happens next or what has to happen next. Um, certainly the biggest, probably the biggest component, which is going to be the, um, the biggest unknown about this proposal was there is the ability for local units of government to still ban recreational use and, and possession of marijuana within their community if they go through a local ballot proposal process. Now, I can't remember, and I'm not sure if it's spelled out, if it's, if it's an opt-in or an opt-out thing. You know, like if, if, it's, if things just stay, at they, stay the way they are until they opt into allowing recreational use or if it's the other way, but there is some kind of a local control through a ballot process component to this that's kind of, you know, the biggest dice roll. That's, that's what we really don't know. So you mean there could be a local election at the county level or the city level? Yeah, I think it would be allow recreational marijuana. I think it could be by the city or the township level. So, you know, within our county, so we can have over. we could have half that choose to do it and half that choose not to do it. Um, so no, it it's it's crazy. it's not over yet. And I think that was part of the the politics of trying to get it of trying to get this passed so that they could have that talking point of well, listen, you know, you're you know, you can choose still if you don't want to do it, then. You know, you can go through the process not to do it, but that does that does certainly lengthen this process and, and adds that um, I wouldn't say bit of uncertainty, a lot of uncertainty to it because there's just just no way of knowing right now. Even even if you could you know predict like you know I bet you the city of Traverse City will you know probably allow it. There, there's still we can't really tell right now when that's going to happen. So so I, I'm not. 
I'm not really sure yet, to be quite honest with you. And, and I think that's that's been a big part of the, you know, from the chamber standpoint and the business community standpoint, that's been a, a big part of the, the angst in this. I think why the chamber came out opposed to it. It wasn't, it didn't really have anything to do with kind of the social arguments around this. It was about, you know, the, the process and all the uncertainties that that weren't buttoned up with this ahead of time, yeah. that now now we'll be dealing with the ramifications of that and, and all those uncertainties. Because I, I, th- I feel like I uh, heard on, I think it was on NPR, but I'm not sure, or IPR, I guess, that um, basically 10 days after the vote count is finalized in December, it technically at that point becomes legal to possess. However, that doesn't answer the question of it is still not legal. There's not a co- there's not a commerce aspect built into that. Like mm-hmm. I can possess it, but I can't necessarily legally go buy it from someone who has all the licenses and things that they would they would need. So I and, that's and, right. And maybe and maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe that's what the local opt in opt out part was was for the commercial aspect of it for them to allow the how do you, selling. How do you of get it? it? Yeah. 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 Yep. And then and then you layer in the complexity of. You now have something that's legal at the statewide level that is still illegal at the federal level, and that creates all kinds of challenging um, kind of commerce conundrums, if you will, mm-hmm. for, for businesses. Well, right, and that's something that our listeners need to be aware of, that if, if your business has to comply with federal laws, your whatever you want to do with marijuana is not going to change. Here at Cherryland, we have CDL drivers that cannot drive under the influence of drugs and alcohol, that does not change because we, that's a federal requirement, that's a right? Federal Zero requirement. Tolerance. So, for us, it's a, it's business as usual. We follow our drug and alcohol policy. We go about our business, and many other businesses will be the same way. So, I encourage all our listeners to check with your employer because things may not have changed as much as you would like them to. Yeah, and we heard that a lot too from you know not just utilities, including yourself, but manufacturers, even, uh, you know, municipalities and local units of government, they, ha- they have a lot of employees that are driving trucks, using heavy machinery. Absolutely. Uh, and so they were, you know, they were probably top of the heap in terms of employers that were concerned about this and, and what are they going to do uh, because they're required, they're mandated, like you said, Tony, mm-hmm. to have that zero tolerance policy. Um, and so there's, there's basically, it's kind of... Uh, Liability at both ends, kind of burning the candle at, at both ends in terms of liability on that. So that that's the biggest challenge for businesses. So let me just say this is nothing. This is not necessarily relevant to a, a ballot proposal or a lame deck podcast. But since we since we're talking about marijuana, to me it just seems like the only the real problem is test is testing the the ability to test impairment. Yeah. And and so I I feel like if we can come at that problem with better better research and development into how to to real time test for impairment, that helps. Um, I think all businesses and, and helps to answer some of these tough questions because right now I, I could test right. someone who hasn't who smoked marijuana 25 days ago and have them test positive. Well, they're clearly no longer impaired, mm-hmm. but the, the way the testing is designed puts businesses in a really really difficult position yeah. to figure out how to. Yeah, I, I I think you're right, Rachel. That you know once once that once that piece, that testing piece is is figured out, it won't take care of all of the challenges or all of the complexities of it, but it'll it'll have that. It'll at least help in the immediate term with you're coming to work. Yep. Are you impaired or yeah. not? Yes. You know. Yes. yes. Yeah. Am I liable for your impairment or not? Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, we had two other ballot proposals that passed. Um, I'm going to kind of just 
skip over the, the voting one, although we did have some new voting policies put into place that would allow for straight ticket voting, same-day registration, that kind of thing. Um, but I do want to talk about the redistricting ballot proposal. So this ballot proposal passed with about 61% of the vote, mm-hmm. so uh, clearly good support for it. It, it, it essentially s- changed the way we do districting in the state, and instead of it being at the purview of the legislature, it will now be a citizen commission. Correct, yep. Um, can you talk through, I guess, who, who, how, who, how do the citizens get on that commission? Or what's the process yeah. that decides yeah. who gets to decide who will set yeah. up our districts? Well, we don't know exactly because some of this is still, um, you know, a lot of this is still within the purview of the Secretary of State's office. And so, but the basic framework of it is, is that citizens who are interested can apply to serve on this commission. And they would apply to the Secretary of State's office. The Secretary of State's office will then um, apparently randomly choose uh, 13 13 members of the public at random to serve on this commission. So wait, they're not going to like weed out people who really shouldn't be on there? It's it's, it's like a lottery system? I think somebody somebody had had told me that, that, yeah, there will likely be a weeding out process that will not be random, that, you know, they'll look at, at backgrounds and stuff like that. But- from that remaining pool, that remaining pool will then be randomly selected. Four people who identify as Republicans will be selected at random, four who identify as Democrats, and then five who identify as independent voters will all be then, again, randomly selected for that that 13-person commission. When does, when does our next redistricting happen in Michigan? 2021, I believe, or, you know, between 2020 and 2021. Okay. So then are there rules in place for what they can and can't do? Uh, right? Are, are they, in other words, are they making really, really big decisions or are they making slight modifications within a much more structured uh, yeah, districting model? That's what I don't know. I just do not, I, you know, I, I, it's... And why do we need to keep changing our districts? I mean... Once you have voting districts, why do they need to change? Well, it is. And what's this commission going to do? I it, mean, it, it is like... based on the population, and so the reason they do it every ten years is it's okay. based on when the when the census comes out. So if you if you gain a lot of people or lose a lot of people, okay. that would make your sense. your districts are mandated to be a certain size. You know, our state senate districts should have each should have roughly what is it uh, the the state state the state seats need to have roughly about 90,000 people and the state senate seats are like 150, 160. So so those are mandated. So so you've got to okay. keep that balance. And so that's that's the ultimate reason why. Yep. But again, back to Rachel's question and and what I'm not sure about right now. What I'm not sure about how how much the commission is going to have control over this versus the secretary of state's office hmm. is those final details of you know how do you go from the bigger picture of the map down to when you're when you're parsing townships or half a townships to you know to fit that that number that you need for a house seat or, or a congressional district? That was one of the big concerns with the opposition side. Was um, at least their argument was you know you're saying you're taking politics out of this, but really you're just putting a lot of the power in the hands of the, the Secretary of State, who mm-hmm. who is partisanly elected. Um, so that. That kind of remains to be seen right now, exactly what, um, you know, along that spectrum, 
what what's going to be under the commission's purview and what are those things that are going to be kind of handled by the Secretary of State? Well, and I, I mean, I, I do understand the the argument that was in favor of this, which was letting the people who are elected make the decision about who elects them is a, a fox and guarding the hen house type mm-hmm. of a situation. But now I would worry a little that you could run into a situation where you have 13 people from that have been randomly selected, but just happen to all be from, you know, the southern part of the state, for example, making districting decisions for the Upper Peninsula, where none of them, you just don't have the context, right? Mm-hmm. Like, at least if, at least when the legislator was in charge of it, you knew that there was someone there from all the different areas who had a sense of like, it would never make sense to have. Yeah, they were, they were never going to let something pass that was just just way off for their, for their region. Yeah, you're right. It's going to be interesting to watch that all play out. Yeah. Um, So we we have a a little bit of time left and I I do want to transition and talk now just kind of about um, the people who were elected. Uh, So let's, let's start at the federal level. Um, Clearly, uh, a big change at the federal level and that the uh, House of Representatives flipped mm-hmm. to the Democrats. Um, in Michigan, we didn't see a huge shift in who we're sending to Washington. We did have one incumbent, uh, Mike Bishop, Mike was Bishop, yeah. the beat, and then um, who was a Republican. His seat is now being held by a Democrat. And we had at least one open seat that was Republican that's now Democrat, mm-hmm. right? But other than that, a lot of the same people going to Washington. Yeah, most of the same people. Um, but what do you what do you see, what, what, what kind of what are your predictions at the federal level with a split House and Senate and then obviously Republicans and yeah, still in the White I mean, House? Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to continue to be a challenge. And I say continue because it was still, you know, there were, it's, it, it's not like there was a lot of, um, you know, accord even, you know, between the Senate and the House and the administration, even when it was all Republican. But I think you're, you're likely... Obviously, now to to see um, still a lot of discord, especially on some of those bigger picture issues. For I think for our region, the the big you know we we are whether you have Congressman Bergman or Congressman Molinar representing you, they're they're both heading back to Washington, so that's not a change at all. Uh, still Debbie Stabenow, but what is going to be different though for us, even in that, is that uh, you know Molinar and Bergman now they've you know, their party is no longer in power in the mm-hmm. House. And mm-hmm. so they they won't have that access to House leadership. You know, they, they might still, again, have access to, to the president and to the administration, but they won't be up for any chairmanships in, in the House yeah. or, you know, um, approach chair, you know, uh, w- you know, ways and means chair in the House or, or anything like that. So, so that's going to be a big change from what, what we've experienced, um, especially over the last couple of years, uh, last, you know, or last couple terms, I, I should say, when Republicans have, have, have been in, in control and we've had Republicans serving us in the legislature. So uh, how, how much different that's going to be, I'm, I'm not, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll find out, I guess, but, but that is going to be different for us. Tony, any, any uh, predictions about the farm bill? No, I, I, I don't <laughs> think they'll get it done by the end of the year. I think we're going to see that next year and then at some point. Someone will want to re- rebuild it again, right? Always. Isn't that the, how the farm bill usually goes? Yeah, but it, it's an important piece of legislation that obviously needs to get done at some point. But I think we'll have a lot of positioning and jockeying and a lot of talking before they actually get it done. Do you think there's enough bipartisan support for the Sulox funding to keep that in the final appropriations? I do. Okay. I do, yeah. I think luckily the Sulox will be – will be 
hopefully and mercifully saved from kind of some of the, the, the increased partisanship that, that we might see with divided government. I, I think there is still enough. Um, um, it, it's, you know, it's been incredibly bi- bipartisan up to this point. I, I don't see that changing. Yeah, and we have two Democratic senators and obviously a, a lot of Republicans in the House. It, it's a good opportunity for them to yeah. keep it together. And it's, and, a, and it's a non-controversial project as well. It helps all of Michigan. It is. It's still a lot of money, so yeah. so you know that'll still be a challenge. But that was going to be a challenge right. either way, whether it's all Democrats, all Republicans, yeah. or split. That's still going to be our challenge is is to yeah. is to make that argument why we need to spend that money on it. You know because mm-hmm. it's it's so but important. It's, and I think our our delegation again, Democrat or Republican from one end of the spectrum or another has has been pretty much in lockstep yeah. on. Yeah talking about the merits of why it is so important. It's good for Michigan regardless of what party you belong to. Yeah. Good you know, good for the country, for the yes. Midwest for sure, but yeah. you know, you make that argument for the whole country. So, um, let's talk really quickly about the state elections. Um, I guess any what well, if you had to make one big production pr- production. It could be that, but it will start as a prediction um, for Whitmer's governorship. Like, what will be? What do you see coming out as kind of a priority? Will for her? she fix the damn roads? <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> she says that. Well, I guess that and um, water infrastructure, you know, okay. underground water infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, kind of, of of the Flint variety, the pipes and 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 all of that infrastructure to deliver. Um, Where at safe, besides water. Flint? Uh, I, I don't have the specific, but all over the state, really. I, you know, I think there there are at least a dozen, if not more, communities around the state that have worse levels than Flint does, mm-hmm. actually. So she has come out and said that's that's her number one priority. Where Maybe does she get B. the money for water or the roads? Yeah, I, I, I would I would have to think um, some kind of increase or maybe looking at um, looking at bonding. For, mm. for either of those, you know, and, and there's, there'd be precedent for doing that. And mm-hmm. it's something that John Angler did with, with the roads. Um, Can she do bonding without the Republican support? That I don't know. Probably not. I think you probably, have, you know, that's not something I don't think you can, can do. You can't do a tax increase without Republican support. Correct. Yep. Yep. So she how does she, she does get that? She does have the advantage of, of some very high profile water infrastructure issues oh, that she yeah. can look yeah. to, yeah. to, to kind of shame. I think she might get the water done. I'm, I'm a little more skeptical on the a tax increase for the roads. I would agree with you on that. I, I think, especially some kind of bond, I think, um, I'm not saying the Republicans would do that right now, but I, I'm saying they they would for sure have that conversation. <laughs> They'd be willing to have that conversation, I think. Mm-hmm. Roads, um, I think the I think the both House and Senate Republicans are are still, you know, pretty happy with with what they've done in moving existing resources, existing budget mm-hmm. resources that already exist, and increasing that towards the roads. Um, with, of course, you know, there was the you know the slight gas tax increase and other fee increases. I think they're pretty they're pretty comfortable in terms of extra revenue. I think they're pretty comfortable mm-hmm. with what they've done so far. Uh, so I I would agree with you, Tony, that I don't you know in these next two years I don't see. I don't see us closing that gap from where we're at right now to that 1.2, 1.4 billion number that that mm-hmm. they say we need for mm-hmm. our, our road infrastructure. I just i i don't I don't foresee them reaching that kind of an agreement. Yeah. 
This is depressing. Um, Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> so we have <laughs> we have a lot of stuff. We have a half a second left, but I don't I don't want to ignore some of the um, local elections that happened right here in our community. So we will see significant change on our county commission. Yeah. Um, how many new new faces? Uh, Three. What do we have? Four. Th- Four, I believe. There were two open seats, and then two incumbents that mm-hmm. got okay. bumped. So, so, so four. So a majority. Majority. Yeah. Yep. Four yeah. out of the seven. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, so that that that'll make a difference yeah. here locally. Um, yeah, I, I I don't think we can leave two without mentioning um, the House and Senate leadership, the significant uh, yeah. um, leadership folks that we have from Northern Michigan seats. Uh, Speaker of the House will now be from Northern Michigan, Representative Lee Chatfield from the Petoskey area. Fun fact, youngest Speaker of the House in 106 years. Bingo. And yeah. currently the youngest in the entire country. Yeah. Entire, the youngest and he's speaker. got two years. Two years, that. yep. Yep. Uh, the majority floor leader, which is like the number three spot in the House, that'll be Tristan Cole from Mancelona from the 105th House District. And then on the Senate side, Jim Stamis, who's from Midland, mm-hmm. but his district includes Alpena and Gaylord, um, he is going to be chair of the appropriations committee. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the you know probably the top chairmanship you can have in the Senate or the House. And then um, Senator Schmidt uh, from from the Grand Traverse area. Uh, he is going to be the assistant majority leader. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the assistant majority leader does to be you know for being honest, but. <laughs> He'll have a seat at the table, so that you know. But we, but if you're listening, Senator Schmidt, we think everything you do is important. Let's just get that back. We're, up. we're better to be at the table than we're on glad, the menu. That's right. We're glad you're at the table, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I thank you for bringing that up. I had I had that on the list and forgot to talk about it. But yeah, I mean that is that's that's you know we we can we, we can talk and 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 conjecture all day about kind of what the divide of government is is going to be like, but. That's something that is going to be, I think, very significant for us that we, that we've never really had before. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think you know we've maybe had a, a, a speaker from Northern Michigan before, but not this many people representing Northern Michigan seats in l- different leadership positions like that. So it's a, it's certainly an opportunity um, yeah. for entities like the Northern Michigan Chamber Alliance to. Uh, push forward some agenda items that maybe didn't previously have the leadership to get done. Yeah, so, absolutely. So it'll be an interesting two years to, to watch all that play out. Yeah. Um, well, so that, that kind of brings us to the end of our time here today. But I want to thank you for coming out and talking to us because um, it's clearly a lot of different, a lot of moving parts, a lot of things going on as we see changes and shifts happen at the federal level, the state level. We watch these ballot proposals get implemented. It's interesting because I think people sometimes discount midterm elections, but when you really look at the long-reaching impact this is going to have, I, I think it's fair to say we're glad a lot of people showed up and voted. Yeah. I, and we need to sh- need everybody to show up and vote next time as well. We, we will we will continue to mention that. Every time. election is important. <laughs> yeah, it is. They all they all are important. They all have consequences. Um, so it is. It's you know for those that did vote, it's kind of exciting. We can say we were, we were part of history. We did this, yeah. And as we get into 2019 and start to see some of these agendas shape up, um, maybe we'll have you come back and, and talk to us a little bit about what we can expect. That, yeah, that that would be that would be great because you know obviously we're just a few days out of it right now, and it's it's always kind of tough to know exactly, you know what those relationships are going to be like, you know, do they, is there, is there a kind of a stumbling, do they stub their toe right out of the gate with that relationship, you know, with, with Whitmer or, 
Mm-hmm. Um, do they have some early success that, that helps set the table? Mm-hmm. Is, you know, w- the, the Governor Snyder was um, huge on, you know, eight for eight and having mm-hmm. the budgets done before mm-hmm. July. Yeah, that'll be a big one. Yeah, is yeah. it, you know, uh, is it going to be nine for nine with the uh, <laughs> divided government? I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think, you know. Yeah. And, I, I, and I think this line five stuff is going to be part of what will decide what happens in 2019. Because yeah. if, if that doesn't get done by the end of 2018, that is going to suck a lot of the oxygen out yeah. of the room. Even if it does, as read some articles this morning about Whitmer and incoming Attorney General Dana Nessel doing what they can within their power to challenge that, certainly through some kind of lawsuit or or otherwise some kind of executive action that the governor could take. So that's even if that does get done, um, which I think it probably will, mm-hmm. uh, you know, talking about the, the uh, utility tunnel under the straits, that issue's not over yet. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. Well, then, On that note, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do a, 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 a tunnel podcast. Yeah, I, say that, that yeah, I was about to go down a rabbit hole there, yeah. but we'll, <laughs> we'll save that for another day. Well, thank you both for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Rachel. You're welcome. Thanks, Tony. Uh,